Psychomedy is brought to you by ThreadUp, Manchester-based therapy that supports creativity. I'm Rafaela Nunes, the founder of ThreadUp and the counsellor supporting the creative community. Comedians and creatives in general can experience anxiety, depression, low moods, and this in turn can affect their creativity. One-to-one counselling can facilitate a safe space for creatives to explore any difficulties, to gain self-awareness, to develop strategies that work, and ultimately to create choices that are aligned with the natural creative flow. If you're in need of support, then please get in touch. Visit threadup.co.uk to book your counselling sessions at reduced rates when you quote Psychomedy. Psychomedy. I'm Nathan Cassidy, stand-up comedian and Bachelor of Science in Psychology. First class honours from Bristol University, a degree I've almost entirely forgotten. But it gives a tiny bit of credibility to me discussing the psychology of stand-up comedy with today's very special guest, the brilliantly funny Shazia Mirza. Shazia, how are you today? I'm okay, thank you. Good. So... As always in Psychomedy, we're sitting here and we won't be looking at each other for the duration of the conversation. We are here again in my uh, luxurious ex-council mansion here in uh, London. And Shazzy is uh, sitting next to me, sitting up. I think she's the first person to to sit up. Um, I offered her to lie down, but uh, she has politely declined rather than reclined. Hashtag me too. (laughs) Yeah. You've heard, you've heard. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> My reputation precedes me. <laughs> he got fine. me in here and he made me lie down and I said, I'm not having it. It's not going to work. <laughs> so um, how are you feeling generally at the moment, Shazia? Are you, uh, I'm feeling, are you happy? I'm you feeling good? very good. It, it yep. um, varies from day to day. Okay. Depending on the weather. And, uh, the <laughs> Just bank, on the weather. The bank balance. Oh, really? Okay. And circumstance, really. Indeed. Nobody's happy every day, are they? Of course, of course. Have you ever done any kind of um, any psychoanalysis, any therapy, uh, that kind of thing? No, I've done a lot no. of drugs, though. <laughs> it's the same thing. <laughs> Does that count? It's the same thing. It's the same thing. I left my body and came back. <laughs> so um, immediately when I'm talking to you, I, I think I'm speaking uh, more brummy as soon as I talk <laughs> with any... I'm offended wh- because people say that I don't have a Birmingham accent. Okay. Well, you just you just you just shaved it off there. People say that I do not have a Birmingham. People say I don't have a Birmingham accent, and I say thank you. <laughs> Nothing to be ashamed about, is it? No, but I haven't lived in Birmingham for a long time. No. Um, obviously, I don't live there anymore. Because, uh, you know, I'm doing well. So <laughs> we've I come a long London. way from our Birmingham roots. Uh, um, I don't live in Birmingham anymore. And it depresses no. me going back there because <laughs> I'm sorry, it's a great place, but it's just so grim and everybody sounds like somebody's just died. And nothing ever sounds. I've won the lottery. <laughs> really? Have you? Are you excited about the yeah, I'm over the moon? It's really 
a grim place. My parents still live there. They're going to die there. <laughs> and um, are you happy doing this job? Are you are you happy as a stand-up comedian? Well, I think happiness is dependent on circumstance mm. and opportunity. Mm. And I think happiness in itself is fleeting. Mm. It's a moment. I think it's we should be chasing kind of like the pursuit of happiness. Mm. That is more important than happiness in itself. Because nobody wakes up in the morning and is happy automatically. Mm. Normally you wake up and you're depressed and you think, oh my God, why am I depressed? <laughs> oh yeah, I've got 12 points on my license. And, <laughs> you know, I've got an overdraft still. And it's... Um, mm. You, tra you, tr you trace it back in your mind. You go, oh, why am I feeling like this? Nobody wakes up happy, though. You never trace back why you're happy. Mm. You always trace back why you're sad, why you're feeling down. Mm. I sometimes wake up happy. Sometimes, if I'm in love or I wake up and think of in that. In love? Or... When, I mean, that's like a once-in-a-lifetime <laughs> thing, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. Well, yeah, I think it is. I think it is. But, or... um twice in a lifetime if you murdered her the first time <laughs> I mean it depends everyone yeah everyone says that you know I mean even that being in love doesn't last for 50 60 years yeah. and that feeling of being in love doesn't last a long time no where do you where do you find the most happiness in this in this job? I mean, you travel the world. Yeah. I, t I do find I do find happiness when I'm on stage and people yeah. are laughing and the, the feeling of laughter I mean, there's nothing, when you're kind of on and you're rolling and, and it's, there's rolling laughter and everybody's laughing and mm. everybody's having a great time and all your material and all the things you're saying are, is working and it's great and it's great. Uh, that is a moment mm. and that is, and that, that's probably that high, that spike is what the comedian does it for, that thrill. Yeah. Um, and, and it's just a moment because not every gig is like that and you're no. always chasing that moment. Yeah. You think, oh my God, oh God, why can't it be like that? I stormed it last week. Why can't it be like that? Why can't I feel like that? Mm. And I think we're always chasing that, but that also is rare. Yeah. And, and, and wait, but that moment is really great. You know, nothing comes close to that, mm. I think. And when you get that moment, does that keep you happy for the rest of the day? Or does that happiness, is it fleeting as in those few seconds? Then it's I gone? think it, it, you get a buzz off it. For, I had a, a moment like that on a radio show I did recently. And it, it was a live audience and everybody was laughing. And now, yeah, I was buzzing for the rest of the night. Mm. But then you go to sleep and you wake up the next morning. You think, oh, yeah, that was a really good gig. But then it wears off hmm. the next day. Yeah. So we're covering this podcast, I've mentioned a few times, in terms of psychologically what makes us a stand-up comedian. And I, I remember getting those, getting those laughs as a kid and maybe not feeling loved in the most traditional way. But when I used to get laughs as a kid, I'd cling on to that in terms of that's me being loved, that they enjoy that. And I think that's one of the reasons that I went into this and I started doing this when I was 10. Is there anything you look back in terms of your child as to uh, why you made those first steps into being a stand-up comedian? I think I was a, a, an attention seeker. Yeah. Because I've got three brothers mm. and one sister and, the, and my brothers were valued more than me because I was a girl and they were boys. So they were meant to be the breadwinners or they were going to be successful or they were going to be the ones in the family that would you know, be, have the most success in whatever they were going to do. Yeah. 
And as a as a girl, really, I wasn't valued that much because I was really just meant to get married and have kids and be a good wife and be a traditional wife. Mm. And I think because I always knew that from an early age or that was drummed into me from an early age, I rebelled against that and I didn't want to be that. I just thought, this is rubbish. Why am I... Who says that? Whose rule is that? And I think everything I did was just attention-seeking. Mm. Uh, at school, I was, you know, I used to steal things, steal people's children's bags, <laughs> eat their crisps from their lunchbox, hide steal their, their bags. I, <laughs> I was, yeah, like I'd, I'd steal kids' coats and hide them <laughs> in the toilets. I was really naughty. All right. And I think it was just attention-seeking and rebellion mm. and... You know what, like if boys can do this, then I can do this. And mm. I, I just want people to look at me. Yeah. <laughs> cool. Okay. <laughs> so stealing bags. I was yeah, a thief, those... a liar, an yeah. attention seeker. I was terrible. I was really naughty. Nice. So you had to go into stand-up comedy then, I guess. Um, right. I didn't know there was a circuit. Right. of loads of different gigs that people just went around every night and did it. Yeah. I just got up one day and did like two or three gigs. Yeah. And then I thought, oh my God, I've got to do this properly. Like, I've got to do this every night on a circuit. Mm. So then I stopped and then wrote some more material and then I went back and I started doing it properly. Okay. So that was yeah. kind of, what, late 2001, yeah. 2002? Because yeah. I remember you at that time, because you were on Have I Got News For You at that time, weren't you? Yeah, just in... and I'd only done about five gigs yeah i mean that's that's amazing isn't it in terms of thrust into the limelight how yeah. how were you feeling then being on tv and oh me- i hated it and- i hated it i absolutely hated it and i was getting the worst time of my life from critics from comedians mm. from people who felt that i didn't deserve to be there which i didn't but yeah. i didn't ask for it i mean i was still teaching at the time i never had plans to be a comedian I didn't know I was going to be a comedian. Yeah. I, um, I, it was just something I tried out. I was interested in comedy and I tried it out, did some open spots and then I ended up on TV. Yeah. And, um, so I was, I was watching on Have I Got News For You, that clip, uh, to remind myself, you were on with Boris Johnson. That was, uh, I was. Yeah. So I met him that night and then I met him many times after that. It was weird. I just kept bumping into Boris Johnson <laughs> all the time. And um, I remember him being really funny that night yeah he was really funny how were you feeling that night though in your in your mind you've been so thrust nervous. into it after a few gigs and... i remember i was being really nervous because i was on this desk with ian hislop and yeah. my knee kept hitting the desk because i was so nervous and i was and i, I and i didn't know how to sit still and i was kept going like this moving my knee over my knee and hitting the desk i was mm. so nervous and uh, i didn't even know what i was doing i didn't know why i was there or why i was asked to be there but well, did you ask yourself that in terms of, I mean... No. It mu- it's, I mean, I haven't watched the whole episode. I mean, was kind of your religion brought up and, the, you know, in terms of 9-11 or that kind of thing? I mean, was that... Was, was it was that, 9-11. Was that on your mind in terms of this is the reason I'm here? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I knew that. I mean, yeah. 9-11, I mean, I didn't do it, you know? Like, I didn't have anything to do with it. I don't know who did it. Uh, but I kept getting sure? radio where, where, stations where were you? ringing me up going... You know, why did, why did they do this? Why do you think they did this? Do you know these people? Do you know any people like this? That's the quest, kind of questions I'd always And you'd only done a few gigs? I'd only done a few gigs. So there was just no one else in no. British entertainment no. who was a Muslim? There and... was no brown 
visible woman. They were all locked up in their houses, not allowed out. Yes. I was the only one. And um, Which is amazing, thinking back. I mean, just like you were the first. I know, and now there's Nadia, Malala, there's two now. Um, <laughs> and, they're, you know, they're, they're all acceptable, aren't they? Because they bake cakes and they're all smiley and happy. So the BBC have got one and they're running with it. She's on everything, isn't she? That's what the BBC do. That's what they did with me. You know, they took one person. And they're like, oh, we've got one. You know, we've got mm. one. It's a proper one. She's got the headscarf on and everything. She looks the part. Mm. Um, let's run with this. Mm. And then later on, when I didn't wear the headscarf, I got accused of not being Muslim enough. <laughs> I thought, oh, I can't win this. You know, either I'm too Muslim and I'm a terrorist or I'm not Muslim enough. <laughs> so you say you got, you say you were terrified on that gig, which is totally understandable. Oh, yeah. And then you were, what, panned by fellow kind oh. of comedians and... And critics. And were you just, I mean... Do you know what, though? I had a made problem. made you feel awful and but weird because you were on TV as well. well and... I didn't realise what was happening to me mm. at the time. I didn't realise I was being used by the left and the right. Yeah. I, I didn't realise I was being used as this voice or, or to comment on everything. You know, brown people, we don't have one big WhatsApp group where we all discuss <laughs> uh, what other brown people are doing and what other brown people are up to. But some people out there seem to think that we all know and we're all in the know yeah. and that we all know everyone's business. And this is not true. And that was the problem with being thrust into the limelight too early is that I wasn't allowed to fail. Yeah. And in comedy, to be great, you have to be able to fail. And yeah. that's how you get good. Nobody gets good by storming it every night. You don't learn anything from that. Yeah. And by thrusting, you know, being thrust into the limelight and expected to be great immediately, being funny immediately, be great on Have I Got News For You, be write great Edinburgh shows, get great uh, Edinburgh reviews. Mm. I, that was all expected of me immediately. Mm. I wasn't allowed to fail. And that was what pissed me off the most is because I wanted to be a great stand-up and I wanted to be able to just work my way through that. Cool. Well, let's, um, let's maybe play a few clips now from your, uh, from your stand-up, which I know, as all comedians do, you'll be incredibly... Uh, Incredibly happy to <laughs> listen to yourself back, particularly from, from, particularly from gigs from a few years ago, maybe. But I this is just it. maybe just to give an idea. And now these are just quick one-liners. And I'm going to play these in just really to talk about comments that you're getting on YouTube. Because these are two clips that you've got on YouTube or on your website. So the first one is from the Winnipeg Comedy Festival in 2017. Mm. Let's have a listen to that. Obviously, Muslim men, they don't really want to marry me because I speak. <laughs> but uh, I am quite looking forward to my wedding day. I can't wait to meet my husband. <laughs> my friend Julie, she always says to me, how can you sleep with someone you don't know? I said, well, you do it all the time. So th that was a clip on YouTube. Are you aware of the comments that you get on YouTube? A stupid question maybe, but some people read them, some people don't. You are an absolute twat if you go on YouTube and read your own <laughs> comments about yourself. <laughs> get a fucking life. What are you doing? Well, what person is doing this? Going on there. You, why don't you just kill yourself? It's such narcissism. You're going on there, watching clips of yourself, of you performing, and then reading what other people are writing about you. God, no. 
These people are twats. But that's... <laughs> <laughs> They're twats! But there's a strength there in not reading them, surely. I in don't... Terms of listen, like... I don't read stuff about myself. Yeah. If you read the good stuff, you have to read the bad stuff. Oh, yeah, yeah. Otherwise, you're deluded. You cannot think you're great and you cannot think you're shit. The reality is, no, not everybody hates you, not everybody loves you. Yeah. There is an in-between and there's a spectrum. Yeah. And, it, you know, I don't think anybody seriously feels good about themselves. No, but I think you're in the minority of comedians that no. don't look at comments, that don't look at comments about themselves. I, I really think you are. No. We, we were talking to we were talking to Matt Richardson um, on the first on the first episode of Psychomedy, and he was talking about getting a thousand um, comments after presenting Extra Factor, and he'd read every single one. Why? And, <laughs> well, I asked him that, and he oh, said, as no. you said, you see a you see a bad comment, you what you need to see a, a five hundred good, good comments to make up for it. Listen, that is this that's this a lot of what a lot of comedians do. I think you're in the minority. Do you, do you not think no, so? after I'd been on Jonathan Ross, I mm. had my website crashed. Okay, <laughs> this is what happened. I was on tour in Manchester, mm. and I was driving down the motorway. Uh, somebody else was driving. I was in the car, and I kept my phone just blew up. It just was p pinging every microsecond. Mm. And I got this email from another comedian saying, your website's crashed. Somebody's tried to get on there to buy tickets for your show and it's crashed. And I saw all these comments on Twitter from people that had watched me on Jonathan Ross. And I swear there must have been two, three thousand comments, tweets. Yeah. I never saw one bad comment. Not one. Everybody was like, this is, um, this was, you were hilarious. This was amazing. But you, so you, you looked know, through, you did look through the comments. Well, so. I, I just, my phone just kept pinging and I just was reading what was coming through. But then I started looking for a bad comment because I thought this can't be, this can't be true. This can't be happening because normally there's good and bad comments. So mm. why am I getting all these great comments? I started looking for something bad. <laughs> and this is, this is the danger is that if you read good things, you then look for bad things to balance this out in your brain. Or if you read bad things, mm. you're looking for good things to balance this out. I've heard it said that way around. I've never heard it say, I'm looking for bad things I about I started looking for, I'm looking for a neg negative comment. And this is not good for you. No. This is why you can't believe the hype, why you can't, um, I never have ever reveled in great reviews or bad reviews. The bad mm. reviews obviously have affected me most because they're, people have said awful things about me over the years. Yeah. And I felt... In the, I, pre in the press, you in mean, the rather, press. Than, rather than Twitter. Yes, in the press. Yeah. In broadsheet newspapers, when I first started comedy, the pressure on me to be amazing was huge. Yeah. And also, the critics in Edinburgh were always white male. Mm. And I have never been reviewed by a black person. I have never been reviewed. Uh, at that time, I was never reviewed um, by a, 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 an Asian person. Yeah. It was always white men. And I didn't know it at the time. But I know it now because we live in a different time now. But those white men wanted me to be a, a vessel uh, for the, for me to talk about the things that they wanted to know about. So they wanted me to talk about 9-11, arranged marriage, genital mutilation, all these things that I had no interest in doing jokes about. Mm. But they wanted me to talk about those things. And when I didn't, I would get criticised. She's a shit comedian. 
What I even had one review once that said she was a waste of a good Muslim. <laughs> because I wasn't using my voice in the way that they wanted me to use my voice. Was that in the was that in the national press? Yes, it was in a, a national broadsheet. And um so white men always had the power over me, over they wanted me to tell the stories that they wanted to hear. They wanted me to joke about the things they wanted me to joke about. Mm. And if I didn't, I was shit. Mm. And I could never win. I mean, I don't want to bring up specific things uh, on YouTube then, if you haven't read these comments. But um... Are they good, though? <laughs> well, <laughs> that's, that, that's the nature of YouTube. It's, uh, it's you know, it's, it's good and bad from, really? those, from those extremes. Well, of course it is. You know, okay. you must... Um, I mean, I don't want to bring up anything specific, though, because <laughs> I don't want to damage you psychologically. No, 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 where... no. I'd, I'd rather see... I'd rather know than not know. But you don't want to read them. I don't personally, I think that's self-sabotage. Yeah, okay. If you are... So I can sabotage you, but you just don't want to self-sabotage. Yeah, okay. I don't <laughs> want to put myself through this, but if somebody else says it to me, <laughs> All right. I could defend that or talk to you about it. Okay, well, maybe yeah. I'll mention one or two things that yeah. are said, because this is the kind of the thrust of the criticism that I saw on YouTube. I mean, don't get me wrong, the majority of people are going fantastic, great. Uh, you know, a lot of Muslim <laughs> people are saying great, great, great. But <laughs> what's interesting about me <laughs> listing those? Of course I'm not going to list those ones. Yeah. Um, but there is, a, you know, a small minority of people, but it is a significant minority talking about it from a religious uh, angle. So we've heard we've heard one clip there. And of course, that only gives a flavor of, um, you know, only a couple of one liners there. But you are talking about um, religion. And, um, you know, there are people, you know, I hesitate to, to say this now, but, you know, people who are Muslims are, are coming on and saying this is disgusting. This is um uh, it's about having no respect for the Quran, um, uh, you know. And and then there's one there's one comment here, and th there was a few comments like this, and it's kind of, I'll read it out. Shazzy, you you really have a great sense of humour. Sounds sounds promising, <laughs> doesn't it? <laughs> dot dot dot. And he's putting the dot 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 as if to saying something's coming here, Shazzy. Shazzy, you really have a great sense of humour. Dot dot dot. But I advise you not to refer to God in your jokes as you did here. Dot dot dot. Thank you. And there was a few kind of, I find that threatening. Um, do you find that threatening? You must have had comments like this over your career in terms of um, being slightly threatening about the religious aspects of your He of your clearly material. hasn't listened to George Carlin, Dave <laughs> Allen, Bill Hicks, Indeed. Um, Robin Williams, Richard Pryor, and every great comedian mm. that has come before me. Indeed. I mean, really, I'm, I'm not... That I'm not revolutionary, I'm not that different, I'm not that groundbreaking that I'm the first comedian to bring up God. This is, <laughs> Indeed, this, but do you... I feel this man is new to comedy. <laughs> <laughs> Indeed, but it's not, he's not the only person. Do you, no. do, you, do you have these comments a lot? Do you feel threatened by people who are commenting? I mean, obviously not if you're not reading them, but uh, threatened by the press or that kind of thing. It's so divisive because people take it so personally. Mm. They think that you're talking about them. And I've had this throughout my career is, don't talk about God, it's very sacred, you know. Mm. As though I'm talking about them. Oh, he's my prophet, he's my God. As though they own the religion. As though mm. they own the God. Um, and people have, obviously, they've tried to silence me, threaten me. Be, I've had threatening emails. Mm. I've had um, threatening gigs, you know. I've had people come face to face with me and follow me to my car and you mm. know very 
And I've performed in some dangerous places. I've performed in, in Pakistan, in India, um, where religion is very heavy and people do get offended. But I never, ever felt that I should censor myself and stop saying what I want to say. That's the whole point of being a comedian. Mm. And I think if you have to explain yourself in any art, if you have to explain yourself or explain your work, what's the, why are you doing it? What's mm. the point of you doing it? If you have to explain your work and justify your work to people, that means you're just playing to the audience. You're not actually doing what you want to do. Yeah, absolutely. I think that what that's what makes you a great comedian. I, mean, I, I gig with you at, um, in a private members club a few months ago. It's a nice and spiky comedy in, in Notting Hill in a very exclusive uh, private members club. And it was quite a, a polite, gentle crowd. And if you remember this gig and the slightly ruder stuff from me as the host and uh, the first act wasn't going down too well. And I thought, are you going to soften slightly what you were saying? But you went in hard, harder, if anything. And you just said exactly what you wanted to say. And they really went for you. And it was just such a great moment, you know, in terms of I'm going to say exactly what I'm going to say and you can go with it or not. First time my parents tried to marry me off was when I was 17. He was 45. So he was quite young. <laughs> he was a cousin of a cousin of a cousin of a cousin. Because I've always wanted deformed children. <laughs> of a cousin of a cousin you have to be careful in Asian circles because you could end up sleeping with yourself I think if you're truthful they will be truthful with you too yeah I mean if you if they feel an audience if they feel that you're toning it down yeah to satisfy them mm. they're not going to be generous with you yeah they're not going to if you're just yourself and you don't give a shit, everyone's seen that comedian who doesn't give a shit, mm. and they always storm it. Yeah, you don't, you know, you you don't give a shit. Okay, that's what we want to see. You having a good time and you yeah. saying what you want to say and yeah. So these threats and uh, either you know in in person or online are not getting to you in terms of being on stage and the things that you're saying, but are they getting to you? Behind the scenes, no, it, uh, it, at home, are they is it affecting you says, at all? These threats. Anyone that says it doesn't get to them is lying, mm. because you're a human being. Yeah, you're you're a normal person like anybody else. Yeah. To say that, you know, I've seen I've seen comedians crying. I've seen them be really upset when um, they've been booed, or they've had um, awful emails or negative comments from other comedians and from the public. I've seen comedians be really upset. Mm. They are more probably more sensitive than normal people mm. because we put ourselves in a heightened situation. It's not a normal situation to be in a room and tell people, strangers, personal, deeply personal things about yourself. Mm. And then to have you be criticised for that or negative comments or being put down for that, it's going to hurt you more than the average person. Of course, it affects, it, it, it does affect, it has affected me, it does affect me. Mm. Um, you know, you go to sleep at night and you wake up the next morning and you feel like you've got a hangover because <laughs> something terrible happened the night before and you can't mm. remember what it is. And you think about it for ages and it affects your confidence, mm. affects your motivation, uh, your drive. It do you, does. Do you have any coping strategies when it gets hard? I think... You have to uh, 
To be a great comedian, you have to believe in yourself and you have to believe in what you're saying. Not that necessarily you think it's right or wrong, mm. but that you think it's funny, uh, it's worthwhile saying, uh, you it's something you want to joke about. I think you always have to be in control of that. The minute you let strangers take over that, you've, you've lost that battle. Hmm. Yeah, but it, but it is, do you think it's switching off rather than, do you ever kind of really try and deal with the way you're thinking or do you switch off those bad comments or the fact that you're feeling low, switch it off and then just crack on with it? No, I like to face things. I think you, th I think you should face things for what they are. I mean, I think you should, I, I had this agent once, she was dreadful. She, um, I remember going up to Edinburgh and she went, uh, I think you should read all your reviews. And they were all terrible. And she went, I think you should read all your reviews and listen to what the critics are saying. <laughs> That's what she told me to do. Wow. She said, listen to read all your reviews and listen to what the critics are saying. And I never forgot that. The reviews were <laughs> dreadful. And it was just like stabbing myself through the heart. Like, why am I doing this to myself? <laughs> but you know what? I did it and I believed it and I took it on board because I didn't know who I was. And, it, and you know what? In comedy, you have to know who you are and what you think. Yeah. But now I feel I've worked really hard for very long. And if I do get asked to do something, I do feel that, A, I can do the job very well. Um, and I do feel that I've earned my place here. Mm. I don't feel guilty. I don't feel I have to represent. I just feel that I'm here on merit now. Yeah. And you, yeah, you absolutely are. And do you, do you feel that the opportunities are there for you now? No. That, that, that you want <laughs> they were there for me when I was shit. <laughs> <laughs> Now that I'm good, they're not there. How does that work? Why does it work like that? When you're shit, everybody wants you. When you've worked hard, nobody gives a fuck. That's how it, that's how it is. It yeah. seems to be. That's how it is. Well, that's what I, I remember thinking when I was watching you at this gig, at uh, this Nice and Spiky gig in Notting Hill. I'm like, we need this. We need this. Um, on TV and uh, more because it's great and it's um, I would watch this this <laughs> as well as Bullseye. It would be my second program. I'll do it. Um, <laughs> well, I mean, you, you must question why, um, in terms of opportunities, you used to get more than you do now, or do you? In terms of um, when you're new, anything mm. that's new is exciting. Yeah. Mm. And I was different. I still am different because there's still so few of me. Yeah. But um, when anything new is exciting, anything young and fresh and new, it's all very exciting. Everybody jumps on it regardless of whether the quality of that is any good. Yeah. It's just that, oh, my God, this person is different. They're yeah. saying something different. Mm. When I was started off, it was all very exciting. Oh, my God, look, there's a Muslim woman doing stand-up. Oh, my God, isn't this amazing? It was so amazing. I was interviewed by Ed Bradley on CBS 60 Minutes in America mm. on the same episode as JFK. Wow. So they, had, they profiled me on 60 Minutes. I only had five minutes of material. <laughs> why, why, why the fuck am I on being profiled with ex-presidents of the United mm. States? And why am I being profiled? Because it was such a big deal that a Muslim woman 
mm. was a stand-up comedian. It had never happened before. Mm. But I think I'm way more interesting now than I ever was then. Mm. And how does that make you feel in terms of you know, additional frustrations, in terms of, I'm great now, where are you now? Um, I don't think I'm... I don't think you can ever say you're great. I was referring about, to myself. Especially about yourself. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I, I, no, I don't, I think... Or I'm better now. I'm better now than I've ever been. Yeah, exactly, indeed. But I think that um, when you're good, when you do get good at something, there's, there'll always be people that will want to hear what you have to say mm. or want to listen to what you have to say. And when you do get an opportunity, you're brilliant. Yeah. And that lasts a lot more than five minutes on Have I Got News For You when you only had five minutes of material and was shit <laughs> and easily forgotten. Yeah. Okay. Although look who I was on with, who's now Prime Minister. Oh, indeed. Are you mates now? I've met him a few times, actually, since. Mm. Um, Shying away from calling yourself friends. a mate. Friends? Uh, look, I... I did not have relations with that man. That's all I'm saying. <laughs> Are you friends with them, though? Are you friends? I, I wouldn't say we were friends. Who's friends with, with, with him? <laughs> okay. All right. <laughs> if you were friends with him, would you admit it? No. <laughs> Definitely Interesting. Not. No. Interesting. Yeah. It's uh, not maybe about that, but it's kind of... Yeah, it's annoying when someone personally is quite nice and maybe their views are, I don't know. Yeah, I know. That's always the strange thing is that you, you, you hear this a lot when people go, oh, I know he's awful, but I met him last night. He was really nice. He was nice to me. Most people are nice. Yeah. Most people are nice on a, on a, on a personal level. Ted Bundy was lovely. Yeah, apparently he was. <laughs> And on, on, on the other hand, I heard Mother Teresa was a cunt. <laughs> I, I've heard so many people say that to me. She was a cunt. I've heard it. People go, oh, Mother Teresa, you know, she was a right cunt. I'm like, jeez, this just doesn't... How? No, I've heard it. <laughs> okay, so in terms of your psychology, in terms of your... As a stand-up, you know, you were talking about wanting to be the centre of attention as a kid, and that's maybe one of the yeah. reasons you... You know, you, you got into the job and then you've talked about separating the the criticism and, and being able to, you know, it, it, it affects you, but um, it doesn't, you know, I think I'm right in saying it doesn't really get you down too much in terms of the, the negative or is that, is that, have I read that wrong? I feel like you're, you know, you've got a very, as, as all comedians have, you've got to be very thick skinned. But with you, I feel like you, you've got a real battle armour against you in terms of the, the upbringing you have, the very strict Muslim upbringing you have, the three brothers, um, the being the centre of attention. You're getting a lot of criticism and threats, but it kind of, you kind of, I see you as kind of striving forward and walking forward and uh, these things not affecting you too much. Would that, I think, be, would that be accurate? Yeah, I think there, there was, I think there has been or there is something in me that just won't let me be defeated. Yeah. I don't know what that is. I don't know what that thing is that makes someone um, just want to get up again and yeah. not be defeated. Mm. Because that's not the majority, it's the minority. Mm. Most people are defeated, uh, you know, and if you are constantly battling criticism and death threats and hatred, eventually it wears people out. Mm. 
Mm. I think it's a particular type of person that keeps getting up, that keeps getting up. Mm. And I am that person. I, I won't be defeated, and I, but I don't know what it is that makes me keep getting up. Mm. Is it that thing that you talked about in terms of rebelling and from a very early age and um, this is the thing I should do, this is the thing, and as a Muslim, this is the thing I'm expected to do. I'm not going to do that. I'm going to keep fighting. I'm going to keep going. I'm going to not be held back by anything or anyone. I think growing up as a Muslim girl in, a, in, a, in an oppressive household, I felt that it, I felt my life was always an injustice. I felt it was unjust, it was unfair, uh, I couldn't understand it. And I didn't think it was right and I didn't think it was true. And I always wanted to, I think I wanted to put that right. Mm. I, want, I, I think I wanted there to be justice that I want to live my life like everybody else lives their life. Mm. I want the same freedoms and I want the same opportunities and I, I just want to do what everybody else is doing. And I think I, I just kept fighting for that. Yeah. And do you feel like you're still fighting in terms of, you know, as I say, I've seen your stand-up recently and it's great. And do you feel like that is in any way battling against some of the criticism we've talked about from the past in terms of, yeah. come and look at me now, you haven't yeah. defeated me? I, I, I don't think a comedian ever gets over the, the criticism that they get. Mm. Because you, I've seen comedians who've been, I don't know, like been doing it for 20, 30 years, and they still, on stage every so often, recite words from some terrible review they had 20 years ago. And I think, how do you remember that? It's because you've never got rid of it. It's in mm. your mind that one critic once said something about you in Edinburgh mm. in, you know, 1976, and you've never forgotten it. Mm. I, don't, I don't think comedians ever get rid of that. Um, yeah, but that's you, as, that's you as well, yeah? Yeah, you like you remember your worst reviews. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I remember one. I remember the Times newspaper coming into my show in Edinburgh in about 2005 and saying that sitting in my show was like sitting in a torture chamber, where I tortured myself and tortured the audience. And I, this is what she wrote, and she went, and I thought it was never going to end. <laughs> it was such a horrific review. I've never forgotten it. I've never forgotten those words. I still remember them. Yeah. The torture chamber. <laughs> Do you ever feel I was like... telling jokes. How can you compare it to a torture chamber? <laughs> Do you ever feel like hunting these people down and talking to them? I have got... I just remembered something. Somebody even once compared me to Terry Waits' incarceration. <laughs> that this is how Terry Waite must have felt. It was something like this. This is how Terry Waite must have felt when he was chained to the radiators. And I remember, fucking hell, this is just too much. I'm just telling jokes. That's all I'm doing. Comparing me to a hostage situation where mm. Terry Waite was chained to radiators. This is not fair on Terry Waite. Why are you bringing this? And this is how they described me and described my gig. And I just think, the critics do this sometimes. They think of the worst possible thing. If they don't like you, they yeah. don't like your show, they think of the worst possible thing that they can say about you. Yeah. Just because it's the worst possible thing. It doesn't yeah. actually relate to you or your work. It's just the worst thing they can say. It's like people that on Twitter that say to women, oh, you know what, oh, you, you just, you, I'm going to rape you. Or It's just 
the yeah. worst thing that someone can say to someone else. Yeah. And I, I think it's become worse now because of social media. But yeah. in the days when it was just um, the broadsheets in, in Edinburgh, I mean, they were pretty scathing. Yeah. They were. Do you think they have any idea, these people, not, not the people on Twitter who are generally kind of stupid, uh, who are saying these kind of things, but in terms of the broadsheet media or saying these awful things, do you think they have any idea in terms of how they affect a comedian's psychology and how, as you say, 20, 30 years later, it's still playing on a comedian's mind, the awful things that, that are said? Do you think they, they give a shit? They must do, because so many artists, just music, um, dance, comedy, art, always talk about their critics yeah and they always talk about reviews and they always talk about you know when somebody said they weren't going to make it i mean everybody yeah. so critics must realize um the power and the effect that they've had on on an artist mm. but i often have thought in the past about the critics themselves you know they're human beings also and i i've known uh, critics to be upset when a comedian has been upset by something they've written mm. because they didn't mean it to be that way or mm. they didn't mean or they didn't realize the upset they caused or they didn't mean it to be that harsh your critics are human beings as well as we are so anything that we feel they must feel um in the opposite way in that they've caused harm to us but then they don't realise the harm they've caused. And when they do realise it, maybe, you know, sometimes they are upset. Yeah. I don't think that they are inherently bad people. It's a fucking awful job, though, and it is a reflection on the person doing it. <laughs> if you've chosen to spend your life criticising other people, it's negative to start with. I mean, how's it going to end? Negative. <laughs> Unless all your reviews are great, you know, so. Um. And those yeah. people that always receive great reviews, well, they're nothing. <laughs> how, how interesting are they? All they've had is good reviews. I don't want to hear those people. I don't want to hear about them. I want to hear about the struggle. That's the most interesting part. Yeah, absolutely. And that's, that's what I mean in terms of when I, when I last heard you do stand-up. It was just so interesting. All the kind of things that you've gone through are all feeding into this material now which makes it just a lot more interesting so i can't wait to hear your uh, your new your new show coconuts right i think we are at the end of our time here thank you shazia yeah, thank was, you for uh, having me that was incredibly interesting and funny and poor mother teresa <laughs> I've heard one or two good things. You must have heard that before. Chortle gave her a four-star review. She must be okay. <laughs> She's a cunt. That's all I've heard. And I've heard it from good source. So. All right. So that is our show for today. But join us again next week for more psychomedy. If you liked it, please give us a five-star review. It helps other people to find us. And only psychopaths leave three-star reviews. Psychomedy was written and presented by me, Nathan Cassidy, BSc in Psychology, and produced and edited by Mike Hansen, BA English for Pop People Productions. Theme music by Mike as well. Follow us on social media at Pop People UK, at Psychomedy Pod, at Nathan Cassidy, and at Shazia Mirza One. So that's Psychomedy. Subscribe now on Apple Podcasts, Spotify UK, TuneIn Radio, or wherever you get your podcasts. Thank you again, Shazia. Thank, Thank you. Thank you. Thanks everyone for listening and supporting. Lots of love to you all. Love you, Mother Teresa. See you next week. <laughs>
<laughs> it's not going to be a headline. <laughs> it's not going to be a headline. That should be the title well, of your new show. Mother Teresa is a cunt. <laughs> <laughs>